thought I'd start off today with an embarrassing story because that'll be fun for you guys. Um, so uh, I, I told you weeks and weeks ago, I mentioned this a lot actually, I've got a gym membership and I'm not that great at using it, right? And I should be using it. So uh, I don't exactly know how it happened, but Matt Eldridge, our youth pastor, he one day, uh, he went on a run and he, he texted me a picture of his like sweaty workout shirt, right? Um, and like, hey, check out, I don't know, how hard I worked out or something like that. I don't remember what it said. And that lit a fire in me. Um, it, it, it revealed to me how competitive I am because I, I looked at him like, well, yeah, it's kind of sweaty. I can see your sweat marks, but I can do way better than that. So we have this thing now where we text each other after we work out a stupid picture of our shirt. I know this is gross. Some of you are like, eh. so anyway, um, so it's incredibly motivating for me. I go to the gym and I just want my shirt to be as sweaty as possible. So I'm like on the stair climber and I'm dripping sweat and I'm like trying to make sure it gets on my shirt so that there's proof that, that I work out. And then I'll, I'll get in the locker room, I lay that thing out on the bench, I get the right angle, snap the shot, text it to Matt. I'm like, come on, what do you have? Um, so I, I've been doing this several times now. You can ask him for the, well, I don't know why you'd ask him that, actually. Never mind. You don't want to see the pictures. Um, but I go to the gym, and, and I did that uh, I was like a week and a half ago. I haven't even told my wife this story yet. Um, and uh, and I, I take the picture of the shirt. Uh, I've got a meeting, so I'm like, man, i got to hurry. So I, I uh, get my clothes out. I, I, uh, I shower real quick, dry it off, getting dressed. And I'm like, I'm... I'm really in a hurry and I'm really, really hot. So I don't want to put on my new shirt yet and just start sweating in it. I don't know if you're like that when you go to the gym, but like I've just, I'm not cooled down yet. So I'm like trying to put everything away before I have to put my shirt on. I put my padlock away, I've got my shoes on, I'm all ready. And I go and grab for my clean shirt and it's not there because I'm not an organized person sometimes. I forgot in my rush that morning to get my clean shirt. So I have no option right now. I'm in the locker room, and I have to put on my nasty shirt to leave the building, right? And I, I'm not, I'm, I don't care about being embarrassed that like I'm walking out like with jeans and a sweaty shirt on. I already embarrassed myself working out. Um, but I've got to put this thing back on me. So I pick it up, and I slip it on I me. Mean, even now, like I can almost feel it. Like It's just disgusting, because I worked as hard as I could to get it as wet as I could. I put this thing on, and I walk out like just in shame, out of the locker room, through the lobby. I get in the car. I roll down the windows. I blast the air on me. I don't even want to lean against the seat, because it feels so gross. And, um, and, and my meeting's coming up. And I'm like, dude, what am I going to do? <laughs> So I went home and got a new shirt, obviously. I, I, I didn't go to the meeting in that shirt, but, but what, what if I did? Like, what if I just would have kept going in that shirt? Because it's, it's kind of what we do with our sin. Like, we, we've, we've put off the old life because we are in Christ now. We're, we're in him. We've died with him. We've put on the new self but sometimes we see our sin and there's something about it that, that it, it, it lures us, it tempts us, or we even tempt ourselves with it. And like that nasty, sweaty shirt, like we want to put it back on sometimes. And Paul tells us in this passage today, no, you need to put that thing to death. You're alive in him now. Kill your sin. Don't try it on for size. Annihilate that thing. 
our truth statement today is since you have been raised with Christ to life in him and have put on the new self, which is becoming more and more like Jesus, set your mind on Christ and slay what you used to live for. David Gardner wrote a commentary on Colossians. He says in this passage that Paul focuses on who a believer is in Christ rather than what he must do. Or you could say um, what we do flows from who we are in Christ. Our identity has been changed. Uh, this is really great. This week I got to go to coffee with a, a brand new believer in our church. Like he's, he's been following Jesus now. I think this is like day 14 or something like that. And, and, and we, we just got to talk about being in Christ, and I was so excited for him. I told him, I'm so excited for you to come and, and read Colossians 3 and hear what Paul has to say to you, that, that, that Christ has, has saved you. You've died with him. You've been raised with him by the power of of the Spirit, and He is changing you. He's transforming you. You are, you are not what you will be as, as God continues to work in you. I've told you before um, that my younger kids in particular, they love rocks everywhere we go, every vacation we go on, any, any, any little outing. If there's a rock that they can find that they think is cool, they're going to grab it and take it home. And then they've made, um, they call it their rock museum on our patio. Um, it, tons of rocks all categorized. And they'll ask me, hey, Dad, do you want a tour of the rock museum? I'm like, yeah. Yes, I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like the 20th time. Let's do this. And they give me a tour of the Rock Museum, and I'm not that impressed. <laughs> I'm not that impressed by these rocks. Like, they don't look that cool to me. But the ones that do are, are the ones that, that are really smooth, the ones that have been uh, either polished like in the ocean just for years and years and years being tumbled in the waves and in the sand, or, or the ones that we've tumbled in, in our rock tumbler, uh, because it, it reminds me, it reminds me of God's work in us, that, that God tumbles us like that rock tumbler, and he chips away, he refines all those edges and, and the, the parts of us that are nothing like him, the parts that need to be transformed. God is so good to grow us by his grace through our life, as Paul puts it, that, that, that we'll be brought to full maturity one day. So the passage starts off, in 3.1, if then you've been raised with Christ. But before we can go any further, is that true of you? Have you been raised with Christ? Have you died to sin? Have you turned from sin and turned to Jesus as your Savior? Because there will be people someday standing before God, uh, thinking that, 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 they, that they should be in heaven. And, and maybe they'll say something like, but I went to church my whole life. Like, like, I was there almost every Sunday for 80 years. And, and maybe Jesus will respond with something like this. Yes, I know. I know you did. But you trusted in yourself. You didn't trust in me. You trusted that you were a good person, that you were moral. You trusted your record, and you thought that somehow your record was good enough to save you from sin. If you were just comparing yourselves to your neighbors or your coworkers, maybe, maybe you were pretty good. But that isn't the standard. The standard is perfection, and no one meets it. Everyone falls short. Everybody needed Jesus to die in their place. Everyone needed to trade their sin for Jesus' perfection. 
trusting that Jesus was good enough instead of trusting in our blemished record. Everyone needs the grace of God to be saved. And I wonder if there's anyone in the room that maybe this is the first time that, that you've realized, like, yeah, I, I, I'm not good enough. Maybe you, maybe you haven't even pictured standing before God before, but, but you realize that, that if God's standard is that high that you would not meet it, that, that only Jesus did, you would fall woefully short. And if that's you today, if you've realized that you have not been raised with Christ, uh, I encourage you, believe in him today. Trust in him to save you from sin. I, I just don't want anyone, I don't want anyone in the room to think that, that they're, they're good because of what they've done. I want us all to know that we need God's grace to save us through faith in Jesus. So have you trusted Jesus to save you from sin? Starting now in verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So if or since you've been raised with Christ, what we're to do is to seek, we're to set our minds not on earthly things, but on where Christ is, on things that are above. We're to fix our mind on the one that we are united with. Paul's talked a lot about knowing, increasing in knowledge of God. He talks about our wisdom. He talks about how we think. He talks here uh, about a mind that is set on Christ. In, in uh, chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says that the goal is that he would bring Christians before the Lord to full maturity, right? And, and he says that you'd be fully pleasing to him. Do you know what pleases Jesus? Do you know what he finds pleasing? Shouldn't we get to know what pleases Christ? Our mind ought to be set on him, if we are in him, if we are Christians. I heard a question this last week, and they said, when you have nothing to think about, what do you think about? Or, or in other words, um, what is your mind set on? Is it set on Jesus? Because we're to set our affections on Christ. We're to set our longings, what we treasure. It, it, it's all to be in Christ, not here on earth, distracted by earthly things. And, and this, this comes as no surprise. This is really logical. If you're in Jesus, yes, you, your mind, you should be set on him. If you wanted to start a business, you wouldn't need to go to business school to realize that you probably need to think a lot about what it's going to take to make this business successful. Or when you get married, you shouldn't have to be told, like, hey, you, you, need, you need to set your mind on your spouse, your eyes, your affections. You need to set your mind on them for this marriage to work. Since we are in Christ, Christ is our aim. Jesus' people are to be about Jesus in everything that we do, whether it's school or, or relationships, work, play, uh, retirement, parenting, marriage, whatever it is, whatever the circumstance, whatever we're facing or dealing with, our minds are to be set on things above, not caught up in the things of this world. In verse 5, we'll get into what some of these earthly things are. But verse 3, For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Before Christ, we thought we knew how to find life, and we looked for life in places where life could never be found, in earthly things. But now... 
We've died with Christ to the things of the earth. We've died to the ways of the earth, the thinking, the beliefs, the, the philosophies of the earth. So now that you've died to those with Christ, Paul says you're hidden with Christ. We, we are in Christ. We are secure in Christ. We remember in John when Jesus says, no one is going to be able to snatch the, the people that God has given me out of my hand. We're secure in him. We're also hidden in the sense that, that uh, when Christ is our home, when we are hidden in him, the world, the world can't tell who we are. They certainly don't know what it means to be in Christ and how great that will be. But he says, when Christ appears, we will appear with him in glory. It will no longer be hidden what it means to be in Christ. And we begin, in, in verses 5 through 17, as we live these out, we begin to reveal to the world what it means to be in Christ, because it is not fully known to the world yet. The only reason one can put sin to death is because of the union that we have with Jesus, the defeater of sin and death. We can't simply follow a list of rules or codes or try really hard. We need Jesus to be our life. We need the Spirit to produce in us what we're incapable of producing on our own. When you make Jesus Lord of your life, you come to your king with your life. We, we bow before him, and we lay it all out there, and we say, Jesus, what needs to be changed in me? Will you make me more and more like you? You tell me what must go and what can stay. 3.5, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And before we even get to that, I, I just I want to point out this gospel connection here. We see that, that we come to Christ, and Christ is the one that cleans us up, that changes us. But I think it's easy for us to think, whether you've been in the church or not, that, that we see Jesus and who he is and in his holiness, and we think, man, I'm sinful. Like, i got to get rid of these sinful parts of me. So we try and, like, lop off these things and make ourselves a little bit better before we come to Jesus. And that's just not what the gospel says. The gospel says you, you come to Christ. Christ is the one that cleans you. Christ is the one that heals you. And, and I get it. Like, we're coming to Jesus, the King of kings. It, it makes sense that we would want to tidy up. Right? When you go, if you get invited to your boss's house, like you dress appropriately to go there. You, you might even dress a little, bit norm, uh, a little bit better just in case. Or if you go to a wedding or, I don't know, some fancy event, you, you're going to dress for the occasion. You get ready, but when you go to the ER, you don't dress up. Right? When you go to the ER, you just show up as you are. You show up in your mess, and they clean you up. They take care of you. Coming to Christ looks way more like that. We, we can't tidy up. We can't take care of our sin problems. We come to Christ to be healed. Jesus died for us. He made a way for us to be saved. He reveals himself. He opens our hearts and minds up to the gospel. We respond to him and are saved because we believe in him. And not just intellectually, but a belief that runs so deep, it's, it's at the core of who we are. So I, I just love that about the gospel, that, that we don't make ourselves better and then come to Christ. We can't. We come to Christ, and, and, and he cleanses us. He heals us. He tells us what needs to change in us. He shapes us. He smooths out our rough edges by his grace. In his perfect timing, he convicts us. 
And Paul knows that Christ has defeated sin and death. And he knows also that as long as we live this life, that, that there's a battle with sin. Romans 7.23, Paul says this. He says, I see in my members, in my body, uh, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. We still deal with sin. He says in verse 5, put to death, therefore. Put it to death. He, he's saying, kill these things, right? This language is not soft here. He's saying, murder your sin, right? Like, act violently towards the sin that's in your life. We don't play with sin. We execute sin because if you don't, it will kill you. Someone once said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. I'm a fool when I play with my sin, when I entertain sin. Uh, uh, we're... When we're set on earthly things, our union with Christ is, is out of whack. It's, it's distorted. We can't be focused on Christ and, and holding on and focused on sin. Like That, that doesn't work. Um, our sin is deadly. Every few years, it seems like there's a news story about someone that thought it was a good idea to have some, some exotic pet that, that by nature is a killer. Um, back in uh, 2009, I don't know if you remember this story, there's a chimp named uh, Travis, which I just think that's the weirdest name for a chimp. I don't know what you should name a chimp, but it's not Travis. If you're Travis, that's a great human name. Um, uh, anyway, Travis the chimp, he, uh, he was a part of his family for 14 years. They had him since he was a little chimp baby, right? I'm sure he was really cute. Um, he grew up to be 200 pounds, right? And, and a 200-pound chimp is way stronger than a 200-pound human being, way stronger. Well, one day their friend who Travis the chimp knew, was well acquainted with, one day she came over and something snapped in Travis and he mauled her. And, and she would have died um, had not uh, someone intervened and, and shot the chimpanzee. Um, it, it was crazy to to have this 200-pound animal that, that could do that as your pet and, and think that everything's going to work out. Man, our sin is the same way. right? You've died to the old sin-filled self. So kill it. Kill your sin. Don't entertain it. Don't flirt with it. Don't keep it in your back pocket for a rainy day. Don't hide it on a private search that only you know about. Paul says, kill that thing. Put a bullet in your sin. You may remember Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, you just chop that sucker off. You don't mess with it. Or if your eye causes you to sin, rip it out of your skull. I'm, I guarantee that that chimpanzee, when it was a baby and they got to feed it with a bottle, super cute. I bet that was really, really fun. But they underestimated what it would become. They got comfortable with this, this thing in their house that could kill them, and it nearly killed their friends. Sin kills. This is, this is what it does. I, I'm sure that probably all of us have known someone that has a, a peanut allergy, right? P people can die from even just a trace amount of a nut. Like, it's, it's crazy. It, it's scary for them. It's really scary when that's your kid. Right? You, you, you read every label like over and over again. And then someday, like if you send that kid to school, that must be terrifying. And you tell their teachers, you tell everyone in the school, like, hey, my kid, I'm not kidding. If they have 
something that was even made at a facility that processes peanuts. My kid could die. You can't let that happen. Right? And, and they train their kid when the kid's old enough to read through every label. They're, they're hypervigilant, and it makes sense. Why do we take sin less seriously than a peanut allergy? Right? What we tell ourselves, it's just a little lie. Or, or, yeah, I know it's gossip, but it's actually true, though. Right? Or, I'm not hurting anyone. Or, or, or I'm not getting what I need. That's why I'm doing this. Or, or this is how God made me. We treat sin like it's not that dangerous. Sin could be a relationship that you're in. Maybe you know, like, this relationship is just sin-filled. And, and my guess is you know that the only thing that you can do is just break it off. You need to cut that off. Or maybe you're in a relationship that looks totally benign. It doesn't look like it's a big deal at all to anyone on the outside. And you think in your mind, like, we're just Facebook friends. Or, or, or we just laugh in the office together. We just have a connection. Or we get together for coffee every once in a while. But, but in your heart and in your mind, like you know. You know where you've gone. You know where the fantasies are heading. Fantasies always stop at the exciting part. Fantasies never show the wreckage and the fallout. No one fantasizes about the wake of damage to yourself and to others that sin will leave you in. I'm telling you, cut that relationship off. Maybe, maybe your smartphone is just a gateway for, for you to sin in private without anybody knowing. I'm not saying smartphones are evil, but man, if, if, you, can't, if you can't stop what you're doing on that smartphone, would you consider getting rid of it? Would you cut that thing off and go back to a regular, I don't even know what they call dumb phone, right? Would you do that? Or would that feel to you like, no, like, like amputating a part of yourself? Man, we're so willing to hold on to sin. I haven't talked for a while about um, a ministry here, Harvest Restoration. I know I talked about it back in the Ecclesiastes series, but we have a group, uh, Harvest Restoration, and uh, there's a group for, for men that struggle with sexual addiction, uh, for men that, that have realized like they need brothers in Christ to walk with them in order to kill this sin. And my guess is that as, as we've talked about this before, there have been men that, that inside they know that they are keeping that sin alive, that, that they are not cutting that off. And they probably know they need to be a part of that group. So they're either not because they're, they don't want to kill it or they're too embarrassed to join that group. I'm telling you, it's time to kill that sin and to do that with some brothers in Christ. We have in the back on our info booth, we've got little cards for Harvest Restoration so that you can contact them and find out how to join that group. We also, there's a group um, um, uh, for women too um, that, that is a support group for women whose uh, their husband or fiance or boyfriend uh, struggles with sexual addiction. So if you, if you uh, recognize that you can't kill that sin on your own, that you need some help, I'd tell you, or, or even if you think you can, actually, I shouldn't have worded it that way. If you keep telling yourself, I can kill this on my own, go grab that card. No matter what your sin is, you, you know what it is. You know the sin that's in you that needs to be put to death, and Jesus has already died for that sin, and you've died with him to that sin and all your sins. So will you set your mind on him and put that sin to death?
Or are there steps that you need to take? Is there a brother or sister in Christ that you actually need to, you need to open up to them about what you're struggling with? Or maybe you need to delete a phone number or block a cell number or, or, or delete an account or drive a different way home from work or whatever it is, but you know what you need to do. I'm confident that the Holy Spirit has already told you what you need to do. Are you ready to kill that sin? And if not, will you at least talk to God about it? Will you at least acknowledge to God, like, I don't want to let go of this thing. Jesus, I know that you are so good. I know that this thing doesn't compare to you, but for whatever reason, I don't want to let it go. Will you at least talk to him about that? Right? It, is, it is by his grace that we are changed. It's by his grace that we can put these to death. Verse 6, he says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Sin deserves wrath, right? God isn't just going to sweep it under the rug. He, he, is, he is just, he is holy. Jesus drank the wrath of God for, for our sins on the cross, for all that would believe in him. But for those who don't, they face the wrath of God. Hebrews 10.31 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. No sin will fall through the cracks. So will you trust Jesus to drink the wrath of God for you, or are you deciding to take on the wrath of God yourself? Whatever the sin is, it's not a little issue. It's a deadly, deadly issue. This is not who you are anymore if you're in Jesus. It's who you were. Verse 7 says, In these you too once walked, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, you used to walk in these, but now in the grace of God, you're alive in Christ. That's your identity now. Don't let sin commit identity theft on you. You don't live in these anymore. And we look at both these lists in five and in eight. We're like, yeah, I get it. I get what the problem is. I get that my anger is, is no good. I get that malice is really bad, that, that the, the desire to harm someone is totally incongruent with following Jesus. I get that slander is bad. Even the world gets that slander is bad. Right? Obscene talk or abusive, filthy talk, we know how our words can hurt. My guess is every one of us has something that someone said to us a long time ago, and for whatever reason, it just cut like a knife, and maybe we're still limping from that. Our words are powerful. He says, you were walking in those, but now you're in the grace of God. You're walking in Christ. Put those away. Our, our sin disrupts our union with Jesus. Our sin disrupts our unity with one another. When this list is present in a church, it causes damage and it keeps us from our mission. So Paul says, have nothing to do with those. That's part of the old self that's already been put off. Christ cut that off. Don't try it back on for size. He's transformed you, and he continues to transform you into the image of the creator. We pick up in 19, he says, and have put on the new self, right? This is already on you in Christ, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord 
who is the Spirit. God's doing this in us. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you uh, have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How do we do that? Verse 13, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his own good pleasure, right? This change comes about. It's God that's working in you. It's God that's enabling you to become more and more like him. Verse 11, last verse of our passage for today. Here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, barbarian, uh, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Only Christ can make a people out of different backgrounds, social classes, ethnicity, eth- <laughs> ethnicities, uh, different, different ways of living life, different ways of thinking, different experiences. Only Christ can bring us together because he radically changes us. He takes who we were and he unites us with him. He makes us united with his people our union with Christ and with the body of Christ, it's thrown out of whack. It's, it's, it's disrupted when our mind is set on earthly things, when, when we're set on sin, the things that we used to walk in. But we've been raised with Christ. We have life in him. Our old self has been put off. The new self has been put on. Jesus is making us more and more like him. So let us set our mind on Christ and slay the things that we used to live for. Let's pray. Jesus, you are, you are so good and, and so gracious. We, we, can't, we can't explain with words what you've done to save us from sin, or we, or we can't do it adequately. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that, that you change us from the inside out and, and throughout our, our days on this earth. For those who are in you, you will make us more and more into the image of Christ. Lord, would you help us? Would you work in us so that this sin can be put to death? We can quit living for it. Would you set our minds on you, Jesus? It's in your name we pray. Amen.